Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, and we are officially now in the new year, 2022, so welcome. And um, as I often like to do, a little bit of what is coming up on the show. For our inbox, we know that community is important as we start the new year, so we're going to answer a question from a listener who wants to know, what makes a good small group? Okay, for those of you that have tried to enter small groups or be in small groups, or maybe you've tried to leave a small group, it's just like, ah, this could get awkward. So I'm going to weigh in with some ideas for that. And then for our culture segment, our friend Deborah Faleda is back with us to answer really just a lightning round of questions. She's here in the studio. And so we're like, you know what, just sit down because we need to pick your brain. So she is going to discuss things, everything from biblical submission in marriage to a variety of dating questions, all the things that she as a licensed professional counselor is so equipped to do. So stay tuned for that. All right. Well, here we are for our roundtable. And we We have got, you know, we like to talk, especially in a new year, about ways to relate to other people, ways to grow. And so uh, producer John actually came up with the fun idea of doing two different segments of um, talking about introverts and extroverts. So which I think like when we talk about this, a lot of people just get this wrong, like what introverts are and extroverts. So you guys are going to have to illumine us um, both this week and next week. So this week we have our introvert friends with us. We have Lauren, Jackson, and John. Hey, guys. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Lisa. (laughs) We were talking before beforehand about how they were going to be all like awkward and not wanting to talk. And I was like, well, you guys better speak up because you know I'm going to jump in if you don't. So and then I'll start asking pointed questions and then it really gets weird. So be careful. But um, we have our introverts here with us this week. Next week, we will bring in the extroverts. And so be ready for that. And you most people know where they kind of are on the spectrum. A lot of people have done some kind of like MBTI test or you figured out something, you know, you've been forced to do it through school or through your job or whatever. You've just been curious. And so we kind of know, but the, the nuances of it play out in different ways. And so I want to ask you guys each individually and I'll full disclosure, I am an extrovert. But I think those of you listeners, you probably think I'm a lot more extroverted than I am. I feel like I'm very borderline. So I'm going to put on my introvert hat and try to relate to our folks here uh, this week as well. So how straight up, let's weigh in here. How introverted would you say you are and how does it mostly play out in your life? What are the big tells for you? For me personally, I'm definitely pretty introverted. I absolutely love one-on-one conversations with people. But if you go to a party, I'm pretty much just the fly on the wall who almost (laughs) doesn't like to talk to people, even in work meetings. Yeah. I tend to be one of the most quiet people there. Um, It was funny. I remember years ago, I made a comment to my mother about somebody's personality being similar to mine. And she asked me, oh, so do they like their alone time? (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, I'm among my immediate family. I'm certainly the most introverted. Interesting. Okay. How about you, Jackson? Yeah, I completely sympathize with John. I think as a kid, uh, room time or alone time was a punishment. But to me, I viewed it as the greatest privilege. I thought it was the the best thing (laughs) that I could have. Um, You're the uh, kid that like read through the whole like encyclopedia and went through all the, you know, yeah, took stuff out of your parents' study. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I think I think until middle school, I had more friends in books than in real life. Mm -hmm. Like that, that was just kind of the world that I lived in. I've grown out of that a little bit more but still definitely an introvert. Okay, very cool. Lauren? Yeah, I would honestly say, Lisa, that I'm pretty much kind of borderline like you are. Um, I 
I'm pretty sure like last time I tested it, I was like 51% introverted and 49% extroverted or something like that. And so I like being social and having conversations with people, but it really comes down to how I recharge, which is by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely like having my alone time, um, reading like you guys as well, writing things like that. Um, so yeah, I definitely enjoy having that space to recharge again. Yeah. And I would say, you know, for me, this is where I dip a toe into the space of the introvert is that I am a alone recharger for the most part. Like I have a friend who, you know, had she been able to make it, we should have had her on the extrovert panel because she can go to a party and she will not be able to sleep for another four hours. Like she is so high from interactions with people that she's just like buzzing like a top and she'll be like texting me and calling me and like anyway what did you think about what they said and I'm like oh my word whereas I'm much more like yeah been there done that now I just need to be by myself and so um but you know then I can chill for a couple hours and then go out and do it again so I've got a pretty short (laughs) short line when it comes to that so that's good all right well let's talk about I mean don't you feel like I, I feel like in culture, whether it's in books and cartoons and whatever, it's like introverts always get the bad rap. It's mm. always like, you know, Eeyore, you guys get associated with all these like super quiet types who are like, you know, whatever, and way extrapolated and stereotyped mm. beyond mm. what a true introvert is. Um, because as Lauren alluded to, it's mostly about energy and how mm-hmm. you spend your energy and how you how you show up, how you present yourself. Um, so let's talk about what are some of the things that you actually enjoy? about being an introvert that you think are genuine strengths as you relate to others? One that immediately comes to mind is really the ability to think through complicated stuff. Mm. I know that um, one of the things I cherish as an introvert is being able to stop myself from saying something that I'm thinking that Mm. I know I probably shouldn't say. Mm -hmm. And if I say this, I'm going to eat my words and I'm going to regret it. And there's going to be months and months of trying to repair the relationship. But as an introvert, sometimes... Maybe you have an ability to catch yourself and say, oh, wait, I don't need to say that. Mm -hmm. That's pretty good because there are a lot of people that put their foot in their mouth for Mm -hmm. whatever reason. And yeah, to have that ability to just be like, nope, doesn't need to be said. Pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think just as extroverts kind of have a common bond of energy and they like um, social activity, introverts have that common bond of recognizing, okay, when's the time to kind of back off? And I think whether it's a party or another type of social interaction, Um, I found that a strength is kind of connecting with other introverts and maybe it is that one-on-one conversation that John kind of talked about, but looking for people in the crowd that might not always be comfortable or in a group that that you can kind of reach out to and connect with in a different way than being like the front and center of attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like as an introvert, one of my strengths is that I honestly really enjoy listening to other people. So you know, being in a crowd of people who love talking, you know, it's actually like something that I love to do to be able to just sit and hear their story. And I think like, for me, it makes me feel like, you know, I'm helping them feel heard, which is something that I also, you know, would like to feel as well to be able to, you know, be heard and, you know, listen to and, you know, everybody wants to feel that way at some time or another. And so I feel like as introverts, we're kind of able to provide that for other people. We can give our opinions on things, but we also are 
really good at just being able to sit down and just listen to someone else um, talk about their own perspective. Yeah, I think that's so true because one of my best friends who is an introvert is so good at, and this is getting back to what John was talking about, about those one-on-one conversations and to be able to focus on another person and internalize what they're saying and then, you know, weigh in. And when she does, it's always with something wise and thought out and very like it's not, you know, the introverts aren't really struggling with like, how do I make this about me? You know, that's not usually the introverts failing in that sense. They're just really good at engaging with people one on one, which is a, a great place to be, especially in um, uh, in helping others and encouraging others and stuff. That's just that's pretty awesome. What um, now let's go on on the other side of it. What absolutely freaks you out? Like if you could have your your worst day ever, it would involve what <laughs> for introverts, what is just not you're not comfortable with? This is not your strong suit. This is not OK. And you're going to avoid it if at all possible. Meetings all day with lots of people, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. I can. I know just even after a one-hour meeting, I'm completely exhausted. Oh, wow. Where I'm trying to just keep up with everything going on in the room, and you're trying to read everybody that's talking, <laughs> and you're trying to figure out, oh, my goodness, how is this going? And then by the end of it, you're just whipped. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel after a one-hour meeting. So I think if I had to sit in meetings all day with lots of different people, yeah, that'd be pretty rough. So what like about clearly then like strategy offsites where you're just like it's like a whole day or weekend or something of people just putting things on whiteboards? Does that just exhaust you? Yeah, I would, it okay. does very much so. <laughs> Other people, you know, people are like, oh, it's fun. Mm-hmm. We're offsite. There's going to be snacks, whatever. And John's like, please, I want to sit in my, you know, at my computer and just work. So that's good. Good insight. Yeah, I think two things. Uh, one would be meals with other people. Like if, if all three meals during the day are with other people, I get pretty exhausted. Wow. I, I, okay. Kind of finding the silence within eating yeah. is something that's really comforting to me. It's kind of like a reset in the day. I can count on that time <laughs> yeah. being uh, alone or just with one other person. And the other thing is just interruptions. <laughs> I feel mm-hmm. like extroverts mm-hmm. love to pop in and say, hey, what's going on? Or um, distract you at times. At least that's how an introvert might interpret it. But um, yeah, just just not knowing what might be coming up in the day. And if that's a social interaction, then it can kind of throw me off. That's good. Yeah, I'd probably have to say being on talk shows and podcasts. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I probably, I would actually kind of go off of what Jackson said. Being in like a conflicting situation or having conflict, I hate having conflict. And so um, a lot of that is because of interruptions, because I feel like either, you know, I can't keep up or I just can't say what I'm actually thinking. A lot of times it's hard for me to actually verbalize what's going on inside my mind. And it's like, I have a lot of good things to say, but I just can't say it as fast or as loud as you can. Mm -hmm. And so um, that would be something that is one of my hardest things is to be in a conflicting situation and just, you know, not know what to say. I tend to shut down a little bit. So, yeah. So how would you guys in light of that? Because again, I I see these all as they're not weaknesses. They're just differences in most instances. But I think it's very easy for people who don't relate to that to make snap judgments or to say, oh, you need to change or you need to do this differently or whatever. So how, what do you feel among the people that you relate with most and then you know it could be just acquaintances or coworkers and stuff how do you feel 
misunderstood. I know Lauren and Jackson, you guys are new, 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 <laughs> newly married. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're probably having to learn a lot of stuff as far as like when the rubber hits the road. But, um, you know, but all of us in relationships that we have, it's just like, I, I feel like sometimes it's the more peripheral relationships that are even harder too, because there are expectations and you don't have real footing to be on that. But what does that look like for you guys? I remember the day after I graduated college, The day before, I had spent so much time with so much people, and it was really fun. But the day after, I was completely whipped. And I have a brother and a father who are both extroverted. Hmm. And I was just walking around the house with my head down, real serious, real stoic. And they finally looked at me, and they said, John, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm actually peopled out right now. (laughs) I've been around people so much. And really, sometimes it's just that difference of how you approach life Mm -hmm. and... It's not anything personal. It's not anything where you're mad at the world per se. You've just been around people so much that sometimes you just need a break. Yeah, that's good. Good insight. I think one of the ways that I've been misunderstood before is by my silence. Like silence doesn't necessarily mean disinterest for me. Um, It just means that I'm thinking or that, uh, like Lauren said, it's taking time to process and kind of just listen and listen to people. Um, I taught uh, high school last year. Uh, ninth graders, which required talking all day, right, <laughs> and interacting all day. And so those those hours kind of right after school was over, um, both when I was a student and as a teacher, uh, were so precious, right? If I had to go immediately into a social interaction or a dinner or something like that, it usually didn't go well for me, right? But if I had time to kind of recharge, and um, this is the, that piece that you were talking about with uh, being married now, kind of communicating to someone, my wife in this case, that, hey, I need like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, just 10 minutes. Give me something, some amount of time (laughs) to kind of distance myself from talking for a moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. And kind of going off of that as well, like the whole marriage thing, one of the things that I've had to um, learn so far, you know, um, being in a job that is very social and, you know, you're talking to people constantly and, you know, going to a lot of meetings and things like that. um, One of the things that my husband and I have um, kind of implemented in our, like, house that we've just made together is um, that we'll like take time to sit down and like watch a movie together because both of us um, love like watching movies and things like that. And so I've realized that, you know, after a long day of work, what we can do is just kind of sit down and recharge. He's an introvert as well, but he's a lot more social than I am. Mm-hmm. And so but we still need to take that time to sit down and um just kind of like not talk a lot, just kind of watch the movie. And that is kind of like a form of bonding with each other as well. So, but we've definitely had to learn how to do that so that we're not just wiped out after a whole week of, you know, being with other people. Yeah. So how do you, have you guys found areas of your life where you've had to force yourself almost like to push yourself in order to be in situations that you just know you have to do, whether it's for your job, whether it's for, you know, because you've volunteered for something or whatever. Like I think of in talking to my my really good friend, she and I were both part of a church plant for a while and it was small, but it was also everyone was new. And so every week was like coffee time on steroids for like 30 chit chat chit chat 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 chat, you know and I'm just like okay I touch base with them with them whatever and she's just like I cannot do this (laughs) I cannot do surface talk with people every week on the same topics of like how's your and I really I just thought about that and I was like that is like a legit concern for someone that that takes a lot of mental energy to do so she's just like 
Now, or, you know, people talk about the, the fabled greeting time in church of like, stand up and greet mm-hmm. the person next to you and say something irrelevant, <laughs> which everyone gets mad at. But how do you guys feel about that, about just what are those situations where you know you're going to be forced into it? How do you reconcile it and how do you navigate it? One thing that actually has helped me in recent years is I joined the welcome team at my church. Wow. <laughs> and You have the introvert corner. If you're an so, introvert, yes. come be welcomed by me. Right. But, no and actually about a year ago, I was approached by one of the pastors on staff who gave me an offer to um, be a team leader. Hmm. And you want to talk about as an introvert being <laughs> pushed out of my comfort zone, even mm-hmm. still now when I have team huddles and I'm giving orders, it's still uncomfortable for me. But I remember he told me something that has really stuck with me. He said, at the end of the day, I can't make you a lot of promises, but this is an opportunity for you to grow. Hmm. And when I heard that, I thought, okay, maybe this is God saying, come out of your shell a little bit, John. You need to not live so much inside your head. Just use this as an opportunity, like he said, to grow. And um, getting out and trying that actually has helped some. Yeah, I think college was a time where... Like like John said, grow out of your shell or get out of your shell a little bit yeah. was like that. That's kind of all you have at that point, right? You're meeting people every day. You're joining different organizations, and um, like I mentioned earlier, those meal times often aren't alone because you're just surrounded by people all the time. Um, but that's honestly part of the reason why I love being married is because I can kind of push that responsibility over to my wife to, <laughs> to carry the conversation, um, and then kind of chime in where I need to. But yeah, the the transition from college to out of college and then into marriage. Um, I've just seen myself kind of grow, as as John said, um, in those different areas of when to, to kind of lead and initiate conversation and then when to kind of step back and mm-hmm. be more comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's actually so funny is that growing up, my two biggest fears were um, public speaking and um, having phone calls with people, like people that I don't know. And for my job, that's pretty much what I do on a daily or weekly basis. <laughs> that's like m- most of what I do. And it's kind of a very ironic thing for me. But at the same time, I realized not only how um, like challenging it is, but also how rewarding it is. Because, you know, accomplishing those things for me I, I do like like you guys were talking about with growing. I feel like I do grow through it. Um, and that's a really rewarding thing for me is that I feel like, you know, not only am I making an impact, but I'm making an impact like God's making an impact on my own life as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm growing past something that might be, you know, seem kind of uncomfortable for me. Yeah, that's great. All right. So as we finish out here, I want you guys to give some instruction on the care and feeding of introverts. So for your extroverted friends, the ones who are listening, the people who are just constantly, you know, like a little dog scrabbling at your shoulder, hope, you know, be my friend, be my friend. Let's talk about something. Let's talk about what does that look like? I mean, I would say, Jackson, for example, like if you're sitting eating lunch by yourself, You would really hope that an extrovert isn't like, let me join you and talk at you for the next hour or whatever. So that's a good thing for people to be clued into. But what are some other ideas that you guys would say of just how to how to care for you, how to relate to you, how to understand you better? I think realizing that our social life needs a good balance between time alone to process and think and being able to talk to others as well. And if it seems like that we're kind of socially drained 
It's probably not anything personal against you. Mm. It's just the fact that, you know what, hey, we need time to be able to think and process and to clear our heads because there's a lot going on underneath the surface that is too much to talk about. Yeah, I think I think John's right there. Um, uh, a couple, I guess, more personal details. Like, not every car ride needs to have music. You know, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay to sit in silence or roll the window down or just, just talk, right? Um, not every... Uh, time you cook a meal has to have music like it, it, you can exist in the silence um, also I think one thing because extroverts usually are a little bit more uh, well, I don't want to say aggressive but just loud in general and can point <laughs> things out um, introverts usually know they're introverts so don't make that a joke or try to poke fun mm-hmm. at that mm-hmm. um, like one of my favorite things to do is go to a movie theater alone mm-hmm. and it's just a okay I can count on two hours of alone time and I can interact with this film right don't make fun of that or don't make fun you of like the little You just struck quirks. fear in the heart of every extrovert <laughs> right, who would right. rather go with someone they don't know and exactly. sit next to them. Yeah, yeah. that's such a great point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a really good point that you brought up. It, it, it reminds me of that story in the Bible where they um, where they talk about how there's the different parts of the body, you know, and one part of the body will say, oh, I wish I was, I was the eye or I wish I was the foot or the hand or something like that. But like just remembering that we are all, you know, created to be one body and we're, we're the body of Christ, you know? And so like going with that, like, you know, poking fun and things like that, it's like in the end, like God created us all so differently. And so, you know, we could make fun of each other. We can make fun of extroverts for, you know, how like loud they can be and things like that. But at the same time, it's like, there's a very specific purpose that God had for all of us. So I would say that. And then also maybe just like, when we're having a conversation, giving us enough time to answer. Mm. Um, or like when you ask a question, wait for us to answer before you ask another question. Because sometimes we just need to take things like one step at a time. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. That is so like, as I'm thinking about this, this is like John and I working together on the show is like me, my my idea of being efficient, which I'm, I'm in, you know, I, I communicate a lot and verbally but I also want to be efficient because I don't like long, drawn out narratives and people just going into too much detail. So my idea of a conversation with John is, John, here are the four points. Good. We're good. Yep. OK, good. <laughs> and I'm like, that was our conversation. And John's just like slain from like, I don't even know what she just said. She just blazed away right there. So, so true to just be willing to sit in that and give time for response and give time for back and forth instead of... Uh, yeah just a a missive on something you want to talk about so great thoughts you guys i really appreciate you guys uh, thinking this through and being willing to share and it's just really awesome and i look forward to getting to know you more when you're not eating by yourself or not (laughs) wanting to talk to me so thanks you guys thanks Thanks,
right, folks. Well, we are here this week for the culture segment, welcoming back our friend Deborah Faleda to the Boundless Show. Deborah. It's so good to be with you again, Lisa. <laughs> good to be with you. Many of you know Deborah uh, from her Love and Relationships podcast or from truelovedates.com, where she is constantly, as a licensed professional counselor, giving advice to all things relationships and uh, really, I mean, I'm just going to kind of own it. I mean, I'm sure she talks to people more than just young adults, but we like to think that she's caring about you in particular who are navigating the relational space, maybe for the first time, maybe you're single and you're just like, uh, when's it my turn? And so a lot of stuff going uh, into play there. And then because of uh, really what she's walked out in her life and again, through her experience as a counselor, uh, we have talked with her recently about a lot of mental health stuff as well, because we know that's really huge in our space. So um, she is in town. And so we're like, come on into the studio. And I'm just going to randomly ask you a bunch of questions that you have to answer. Because um, I haven't told you about the five, you know, that aren't even on here that are going to be super. No, I'm just kidding. I won't scare you. I won't scare you. Um, But we we called a lot of these from listeners. And so I want to kind of kick it off. It'll be fun. You ready for it? Let's do it. Here we go. Okay. One question, Deborah, that we get a lot is around, especially from women, is like women who feel like they write out all these lists of why they're not dating. And usually it's something wrong with them. So they're, women tend to be, we're pretty hard on ourselves. Yeah. We're always like, let's go, you know, we're going to do all the the personality tests. We're going to like psychoanalyze ourselves and figure out guys aren't asking me out. So it's got to be something wrong with me. We had a listener not too long ago write in and she was talking about um, how she's pretty successful in her career, but she actually had a couple guys tell her, I think guys she'd gone on dates with, that um, she didn't present herself well in dating because she came across as like too analytical or too strong or too whatever. And she's like, is that really a thing? Like, do I need to listen to them? Like, what's my what's my problem? And, you know, she obviously being... Um, a woman who studies God's word, she was like, is this like a, you know, biblical roles thing, a submission thing? Like, I want to honor God and, and relationships in this, but does personality come into play? And so what would be your advice to her? One of my mentors told me, allow your critics to refine you, but don't let them define you. Hmm. So I'll start there and say that sometimes when people give us feedback, there's something to it. Mm -hmm. So let's just say someone says you're coming across too aggressive and I'm starting to see a pattern. People are telling me I'm coming across too aggressive. Well, let me take that with a grain of salt, but I'm going to do a little internal work and see if there's something here that I need to work on in my own personal life. But on the flip side of that coin, um, you know, if you've done the work and you feel like you're at a healthy place and you just have a strong personality you're good at what you do. You're humorous. You know what you want. You have opinions. You don't have to dull yourself down for someone to accept you. I think finding a good match in a relationship is kind of like putting a puzzle together. You've got to know the shape and the color of your puzzle piece to recognize the type of person who's going to fit with you from the type of person who doesn't fit with you. And I think as women, we need to to be bold in understanding who we are and recognizing the type of person who's going to match our personality from the type of person who can't handle our personality. And rather than blaming ourselves for it, 
see it as an incompatibility in the relationship. Mm -hmm. That's good. And I do, because I do want to address the flip side of that. I mean, I think we women should be attentive to the fact that, yeah, sometimes we want to say, oh, well, this is just how I am and you have to take me how I am. And we can be very abrasive. And that's just something that, like you said, generally, we should all be open to to working on. I remember a, a guy I dated one time telling me um, that I was pretty sarcastic. And it was a bad relationship. It ended, it needed to end. But I, I will never forget the fact that I said to myself, I need to take that to heart, because that is actually a legit uh, observation. And so I just began working on that and the way that I responded to people and presented myself. And so, you know, even if he didn't mean well in saying that, you know, there was still some truth in it. But I didn't, like you said, yeah, I didn't let it just, just it slay off. me and be like, oh, my goodness, so I'm a terrible person. And but that's the balance. And I think, too, the key is if I'm hearing the same thing again and again and again and yeah. again and again, let me just sit with this. Let me see if the Holy Spirit has anything to convict me. And, and it's the same whether you're a guy or a girl. Yeah. You know, if you're in a relationship and you're telling the guy, listen, you don't ask enough questions. You're not a good listener. And they keep hearing that time and time and time again. You don't just write it off. You allow the Holy Spirit to do the work he's going to do. But when you get yourself to a healthy place, then you also have to realize that sometimes a relationship just isn't a good match. Yeah, good point. All right. Next question. Um, you have actually, in fact, recently here on The Boundless Show, you addressed ways to keep our mental health strong. In fact, as the author of Are You Really Okay? Um, that's your most recent book, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, we really dug into that uh, on the show here in the past. But kind of now, because we are in the first week of a new year, let's just do a little checkpoint for like mental health for folks. Because I always say it's especially single young adults. It's like they we just want to quickly dump the previous year and be on to something new. Yeah, <laughs> we don't. But what would you say? What's a great checkpoint to have to properly process 2021 and move forward maybe with a couple new strategies for the new year? We do want to look to the future. That's kind of our default. Like what's next? What's next? But so many times we can't look to the future before we've looked back. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important as we start the new year to look back at previous years. Uh, for some of us, that's going to look like 2020 and 2021 because there's been a lot of loss, a lot of heartache, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of unknowns, times where we weren't in control. We've got to deal with some of those hurts and some of that trauma and face it and understand how it's shaped us. But for some of us, it's going to go even further back. Some of us are still carrying wounds from our childhood that we've never actually dealt with. Mm -hmm. Hurts and, and insecurities and fears, feelings that were not valuable, whatever it is. And I think sometimes it's that stuff that really prevents us from moving into the future. It's that stuff that builds and adds to the stress that we're feeling in the present until all of a sudden it's just piling up and, and we face what, what we call emotional explosions where we, we're not in control of our emotions anymore. We're having anxiety attacks. We're feeling depressed. We're starting to struggle. It's starting to affect our sleep. It's starting to affect our energy. I mean, we kind of have to be aware of what's going on underneath the surface. And I think the new year is a perfect time to dig a little deeper. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Yeah, that is a, a great point in just, again, it's not about just being done or forgetting the past. I like that idea of like, take what you've learned, spend some time. So many people spend time goal setting, but they don't spend a lot of time reflecting. And I yeah. think both and is is really healthy. Okay, well, speaking of which, um, wanting to get past dumpster fires of the past, <laughs> we have a lot of people who maybe are still struggling with some vestiges of what we've long termed the purity culture movement right. or, or whatever. And we know that a lot of that, you know, elements of that have been exposed or abandoned or whatever. But I feel like there are a lot in our audience who still hang on to this idea of like, you know, the the word that has been used in past decades is the word modesty or purity or whatever. And we immediately associate that with attire, you know, with clothing of like ladies, right. be modest, be whatever. But, you know, and, the, and again, there's some good learnings here without having to totally let it, you know, crush us. But I would love to expand it in talking about um, give give us your take on whether we're talking about physical stuff, whether we're talking about verbal, emotional, just the way, especially again, talking to women here, how we present ourselves. What's a good way for us to biblically structure this in a way that we have some practical move ahead points on this? You know, I like to reframe the word modesty because like we mentioned, it's a trigger word for some mm -hmm. people, you know, and, and rightly so. There's been, it's been used and misused in different circles. So I like to uh, replace that word, reframe it with the word boundaries, because mm -hmm. that's really what we're talking about, isn't it? When we're talking about um, boundaries with how we interact with the opposite sex, we're talking about boundaries in our physical connection with the opposite sex. We're talking about boundaries and our emotional connection, and we're talking about boundaries and our spiritual connection. And I think sometimes we want to jump in the deep end of a relationship, go in there without any boundaries before we've walked in the shallow end. And we don't really know what we're getting into. We're not protecting ourselves. We're not protecting our heart. You know, when scripture says, guard your heart, I always say, it doesn't tell other people to guard your heart. It's your responsibility to guard your heart. And the way that you do that is by setting up boundaries. And sometimes that looks like boundaries in how much you share, boundaries in the way that you're going to dress, the physical um, connection and intimacy you're going to allow yourself to have or not have, what you're going to share about your personal life, what you're going to share about your relationship with God. And we've got to have boundaries to protect ourselves, especially early on in a relationship, you don't really know what you're getting into. No matter how this person appears on social media or appears in church or appears in, in this context, you've got to give the relationship time to unfold and bring boundaries along the way. Yeah, that's really good. So how, um, just kind of in thinking of that as a follow-up, how does a person, because I feel like a lot of women do this to kind of um, foster additional connection. They'll try to reach out and share more what on whatever level. Yeah. Um, and I always say, you know, the amount of connection you share should always be proportionate to the amount of commitment you have. Yes. So how can a woman gauge that appropriately? Because a lot of times we're like grasping for attention, you know, by, by oversharing or by, you know, in whatever context. I always tell people to see dating as a season of investigation. Mm-hmm not a season of intimacy. Hmm. And I think sometimes we want to jump to the intimacy. No, no, no. This is an investigation. This is an interview. I have to find out if the person in front of me is safe 
and worth the intimacy later down the line. So see dating as a season of investigation. You're asking a lot of questions. You're trying to find out about this person's personality, their family of origin, their habits, their quirks, their beliefs. You're really trying to bring things up to the surface. Sometimes that stuff doesn't naturally come up. That's what people don't understand in dating. Mm -hmm. They want it to naturally come up. Sometimes you have to be intentional about investigating, intentional about asking questions. Now, I'm not saying bring a list of 200 questions on your first Mm -hmm. date, (laughs) but go into it with that mentality of I'm here to investigate, not build intimacy. Yeah, great point. All right. Next question is a straight up dating one. Um, This is a conundrum that we see many different ways come up at Boundless. Um, It is a love triangle. It's a plan A, a plan B, a plan C person. (laughs) It is is mired in all kinds of problematic elements. What is your advice to a girl where she's interested in one guy, but then a different guy asks her out? So it's kind of like, you know, she's, I mean, it's, it, what's a way that you would suggest she handle this situation? Because clearly she doesn't want to just use the first guy as a placeholder while she's waiting for the one she's really interested in. I mean, people are not commodities, but, you know, there's a fair amount of hopefulness in that as well. So uh, what do you say to that? This could go so many ways. Yeah. I'm just imagining <laughs> the different ways the story could end. Mm-hmm. You know, choose your own adventure. Like it's those a choose old your own person. adventure. I <laughs> mean, is. one option is for her to be honest and say, hey, you know what? I really appreciate your interest, but I'm not feeling the same way. And then be honest with the person she's interested in and say, hey, you you seem like a great person. I'd love to get to know you a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You know, so so be honest is the first option. Mm-hmm. The second option. We hate that option. We don't <laughs> like honesty. To I know. A lot, a lot <laughs> no, of people struggle kidding. with that. It, exactly. It's not the easy option. Right. But but it but it's the honest option. I think another option as well, depending on her personality, is to say, you know, maybe this guy that I'm interested in is not interested in me. I know he's not. He's not showing any signs of interest. So depending on who the second guy is, let's ask them out. Another option is to say, you know what, I'm going to get to know this other guy. He seems like a great guy as well. And maybe the interest will grow. So it's so interesting because a lot of times the decisions that we make are based on our personality or our underlying beliefs. Maybe someone out there has been taught that it's wrong to be honest and show someone that you're interested in them. And so they would take option number two. And so I think this question is really beautiful because it actually gets us digging a little deeper of why do I believe what I believe about dating and relationships? Why do I default to the patterns that I do when it comes to the dynamics of dating? You know, I'm curious, Lisa, what would you do in this context? <laughs> I know it is tricky. You pick your brain. Well, I think, I think too, the element that I would add is where I always feel like, let's take a step back and realize that God is part of this process as well. Like, I feel like we treat these types of relationships like God has limited resources. Yeah. So God is not up in heaven saying, okay, I really want to trick you into this relationship, make you date someone that you don't want to date while I hold out on you with this other guy. I mean, again, if if God wants you to marry, you know, meet, date and marry guy A, he'll find a way to make it happen. It's not I, I feel like we get so angsty about like, well, I better not move on this one because what if I've, you know, sabotaged all my chances with the other one? Or what if he won't notice that I'm really liking him? And we get into all this crazy conundrum. And I'm just like, like you said, I mean, these are both at this point, just brothers in Christ. And again, going back to your investigative thing, 
figure it out. Just start, get to know this guy, you know, Fig- you know, again, he could just become a great friend or it could become something more. And so I think, you know, just chill, figure out who this guy is. If the other guy's waiting in the wings and he shows up, then that's fine too. But it's not, again, this gets, but it's almost addressing the question in the sense of, I do not believe that there is only one person in the world that you can meet and date and marry. I mean, both of these guys could be great, to your point. For all you know, guy A could be not a good match for you, and you right. think he is from a distance, or you idolize him from a distance, and yeah. guy B could end up being a good match for you. That's the key, and what we go back to, dating is about investigation. If dating was about intimacy, mm-hmm. this conversation would be much harder. It's like, yeah. who do I want to build intimacy with, guy A or guy B? But it's not about intimacy. Right. It's about investigation. I'm, I'm trying to get to know these people. I'm getting to know myself, mm-hmm. and I'm determining who is the best match for my life and what God has called me to. Yeah. And realizing that, honestly, you know, you may end up marrying guy F, who hasn't yeah, exactly. even shown up in the picture Could yet. Could be none of these it's guys. Like- Seriously. Exactly. And you just and got, most likely is the yeah. answer. It's not option A or B. It's what's behind door C. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's uh, tread into marriage and marriage prep a little bit because um, not only are you a, a professional counselor, but you are married. So you could speak from both angles of this. You know, there's often the old saying about you don't just marry a person, you marry a family. And I feel like a lot of singles who are dating are worried about this because there is bona fide dysfunction in family nowadays. And people are afraid of like, I like this guy. But if this ever went anywhere, I don't even know how we would draw boundaries in this space or what this would look like. So how does this apply to the dating phase of a relationship? Um, Getting to know the family, asking the right questions, figuring out, is this person like too tied to their family? Do they not care enough about their family? What are the questions they need to put into place? That's so good. And I think, again, the season of investigation, it's like, What am I seeing today with how this person is handling the family dynamic? Let's just say they have a dysfunctional family. I think what's going to give you answers is how they're handling the dysfunction today. Not what they've been through in the past or everything that's happened, but how are they putting boundaries in their life today to keep themselves distant from the dysfunction? What are they doing to change the pattern for their future? How are they breaking the chains from the past and writing a new story for their present and the, the future that they want for their family? Mm. So it really comes down to how they're living their life today. And I think, you know, in the investigation stage, we're going to be asking questions like, what's the hardest thing that you have been through in your family? Or what's something that you're afraid to pass down to future generations? Or what's an unhealthy dynamic in your family of origin that you want to change the pattern for your future family? And so in the season of investigation, we're asking a lot of these questions, but we're also observing. We're observing how this person interacts with their family today and what the dynamics are today. Because what you see in dating, you're going to see in marriage multiplied by a hundred. It's a pressure cooker. If you're not seeing boundaries today and they're just getting sucked into all of this dysfunction left and right, that's just not going to magically go away when you say I do. Absolutely. But also, uh, can I add this note? Just because someone comes from dysfunction doesn't mean they're defined by the dysfunction because that would rule out most of us, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We all come from something dysfunctional. And I think our past shapes us, but it doesn't define us. What defines us 
is who we are today and what God is doing in our life today. So I want to give what God is doing today a bigger lens than the things that have happened in the past. Yeah. And I mean, big credit to folks who have done the work and are breaking cycles. I mean, that's a it's that's huge. a very mature thing, especially if they brought Christian community into play. They it's have done, huge. you know, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a big deal and something good to, to find out. All right. Last question. And just so you know, um, folks, a little preview. Next week, our culture segment is with Gary Thomas, who we're going to, you know, maybe more focus on you guys with him, whereas Deborah is helping the ladies a little more. But we're kind of like both and on both of them. But this question, I'm asking both of them the exact same question because they're both married. They both love their spouses and they both have a lot of great wisdom from the side of marriage to share back with us. So, Deborah. In marriage now, what would you say has been your biggest disappointment coming from this side of the covenant and the vows? What's been a big disappointment? But then also, what's been your biggest positive, pleasant surprise? Yeah, I would say my biggest disappointment is the reality that your spouse can and will hurt you. Hmm. I mean, when you're dating, Mm -hmm. hurts kind of happen here and there accidentally you give them the benefit of the doubt (laughs) after 15 years of marriage you realize that we're sinful human beings and sometimes we even hurt each other intentionally (laughs) isn't that horrible (laughs) no not you not your husband i know (laughs) but it's true and i think that's the biggest disappointment is realizing okay i'm gonna get hurt here but in that hurt is also the opportunity to heal and to grow, and to refine, and to deal with our sin nature, and to become better human beings. So I almost feel like we couldn't get there without some of that hurt being exposed in the first place. And I look back at our 15 years of marriage, and it was some of those biggest, sorest areas of hurt where we've had the most growth Mm. and the most intimacy. So I'm grateful for it, but it still hurts. Mm -hmm. And I would say the thing that has been the biggest surprise is how much who you choose to marry shapes your life. Hmm. You know, I look at what I do today as an author, a speaker, a counselor, and if I would have married someone different, my life wouldn't have looked how it looks today because my husband is not afraid of allowing me to fulfill the calling that God has put on my life. Mm -hmm. And another guy might have tried to hold me back or subdue me a little bit or say, "Ah, I don't know if you should be doing this or, but, but he has allowed me to freely walk in God's calling just as I've allowed him to freely walk in God's calling. And, it, and you don't realize when you get married, when you're dating, like this person is going to shape my future and they can shape it in the most incredible way, but that it could, they could also shape it in a very dangerous way. So it's not just about how I'm feeling today. Yeah. It's about where I'm going and where God is calling me. And are we on the same page with that? So that's been my biggest and best surprise Um, John is my number one fan and I'm his number one fan. And we kind of fuel each other to do what God has called us to do. You realize that marriage is so much less about you Mm -hmm. and so much more about the big picture of what God is doing. Yeah, that is so helpful. And it just reminds me of how no one is marrying a finished project and you're not going into marriage. I I think we're so busy, like trying to find out, do I have the right person? Is this person going to check off all the boxes? And it's like, my goodness, especially the younger you marry, 
you're in for a world of growth and years and decades of that. And you're going to shape each other in that. And hopefully you'll be pointing one another to the cross uh, in a way that really allows you to find your identity in Christ alone. So that's a good, it's a good process, a good journey. Well, Deborah, this has been awesome. Thanks for answering all our questions. I love it. Fun. I love it. I'll come back anytime. We'll do it. We'll do it. Okay, folks. um, Well, because in honor of this being the start of a new year, I want you to know that we are offering today for a gift of any amount to Boundless, a copy of Deborah's book, Are You Really Okay? Getting Real About Who You Are, How You're Doing, and Why It Matters. And so great stuff to go after in the new year. You're going to go to boundless.org. You're going to see the cover of her book right there. Just click on it. Give us a gift of any amount to continue Boundless into the new year with the stuff that we have going on. And we're going to send you her book as our thank you to you. So make that happen today. And um, you can go to, uh, you can actually search at boundless.org for 727. That's this week's episode and you'll find it there. So, all right. Well, as we finish out the show, we open up our inbox and we've got a great question this week that I'm actually going to answer. And so a very appropriate one for the new year, too, because it's about small groups and getting into a small group. Our listener says, I have a few questions about what makes for a good small group. Does it matter if we're only studying the Bible or going through a book study? Also, what would you say is the balance between looking for a study that challenges me versus a group I can find good community in? Finally, is it best to be in a group of only young singles or is multi-generational better? Okay, well, first of all, kudos to you because um, the fact that you're looking for a small group, the fact that you want to plug in and dig deeper is super awesome. Um, So especially if a small group is done at your church, this is a great way to make the big church small. So a lot of people get into church and they're like just sitting in the back kind of drifting, you know, with their double walled coffee mug taking in the show. And so I'm always like, hey, it's time to plug in. Uh, get into something where you can be seen, be known, and uh, serve others, really. And so a small group is going to fit the bill for that. So, But a small group also is what you make it. And so you have to be very uh, intentional about looking for a small group and being part of a small group. So I would say, you know, I find that that studying the Bible in a small group is always a good starting place. And if you haven't done a lot with small groups, that's a great 
way to get into one. Uh, do you know? Some people just call it a Bible study. You know, some people call it small group, whatever. Um, but I think it shows that you know it kind of is a way to focus the content and the what is going on during your small group time. So finding one that really is committed to studying the Bible and at least uh, or at least having the Bible as its focus is obviously a great way to start. And so and that can vary. Like for me, my small group, which is um, uh, something that I do once a week. My way of studying the Bible is where I'm doing a study that I have homework because I have to have that accountability to know that I've got homework for the study and the women that I study with, they're going to be asking me questions when I go to small group. And so that's just what works for me. Some people are fine going to a small group and not having stuff that they have to do throughout the week. But I like to kind of get down and dirty um, and get into that. And so for me, I get that through my small group. So I think overall, though, you want a group that challenges you, like you're saying, um, because that is where you will actually find community best. So you can get a both and out of this by finding finding community with people who are serious like you are, who want to study like you do, uh, who really want to dig in. And you want people who are committed to the cause and who aren't just going to drift in and out and be like, oh, I'm just going to sample this. So um, I think that that's important. Now, as far as the makeup of, of a small group, I alluded to the fact that my current one is all women, and that's because I have a lot of community here at work. I am part of a larger community group at church that's like a, you know, quote unquote Sunday school class that is mixed gender, mixed generation, and I get some good points of connection there. But for me, um, my small group is kind of my tribe. They're the people that are praying for me. They're the people that are, they've become great friends. They're kind of in my business. Um, so I think for me, uh, that aspect of a small group has been good. And in that case, it's only um, same gender. So obviously a co-ed one is going to have a different feel, which isn't bad, but it will probably serve a different purpose uh, in that sense. And so the other thing I want you to remember is that, you know, you don't have to join a small group and think you're going to be in it for the next 15 years. I mean, try a small group out, be in one. Another thing that people like to do with small groups is find one that's geographically close to you. Because if you find that your small group, you have to start going 45 minutes across town to, yeah, you're going to have a hard time hanging on. So um, not that a drive isn't you know, it's not terrible or whatever, but, you know, just keep that in mind as well. So I think that's just uh, just important. So so you can remember that. So, you know, there's a lot of flexibility within content with the people you study with, but you just want it to be a group that, you know, is committed, that, you know, is committed to Jesus and to the word of God that wants to go deeper, that wants to do life on life in the sense of you want to move the needle towards Christian maturity and a small group should get you there. It shouldn't just be a gripe fest. It shouldn't be so surfacey that no one's really willing to volunteer and grow and, and get to know one another another. So keep all those things in mind. Though I will say something funny as I close here, because my pastor has said this a couple times. He actually alluded to the fact one time in a sermon that if you were in more than one small group or Bible study, he said, I'm not going to say you're sinning, but I don't think it's a wise idea. <laughs> and I think too often we can get so worked up about small groups and be like, oh, I just love it. And I want to study so many things that all we're doing is going to these groups and taking in a bunch of information and taking in a bunch of relationships and there's no outpouring there. And so make sure that you're always looking in an outward facing way as well, because we want to be willing to plug in, serve other people, serve your church itself. You know, don't so overtax yourself and commit yourself to various studies and groups that that's all that you're about. So 
Uh, you can also read Acts 2, Matthew 18, uh, in First Thessalonians. There's some great guidelines for what it means to be community uh, and the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. So think that through as well, and I hope that will help you. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week's show. Uh, as always, we do want to hear from you. So write to us at editor at boundless.org, maybe with a question that we can answer on the show in the future, or you can hit us up on social and submit your question there through our DMs or whatever. Um, but we, again, we love to hear from you. So feedback as well. Otherwise, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of boundless.org. Focus on the family. <laughs>